Blog Talk Radio. Hello, welcome everyone to the Healthcare Whisperer Show. My name is Hari Kulsa, and I'm your host. I'm a patient advocate and nurse practitioner, and I'm also president of Healthcare Whisperer, a patient advocacy and navigation company. I can be found at Twitter at H-A-R-I-K-108, at Facebook, uh, Hari Kulsa, at LinkedIn, Hari Kulsa, and you can go to my website at www.healthcarewhisperer.com. This show is about getting people used to uh, helping people get through, navigate the healthcare system with tips. And as you all know, it can be so daunting and so crazy to try to sometimes get through the healthcare system. So my show is here to help you as best we can. I also want everybody to continue to send their prayers out to the people in Oklahoma who are recovering from such devastating uh, suffering and loss. Uh, be sure if you feel motivated to donate, you can go to the Oklahoma State uh, site, and they have a special fund set up as well as the Red Cross, so redcross.com. Uh, also, I just want to update you on the Boston Marathon people. Everybody's out of the hospital now and beginning their recovery. So thank you, everyone, for the prayers to the Boston Marathon victims. Uh, I'm very excited about the show today because uh, we've got some great guests today. I've got three people who are just really inspiring. You know, in past shows we've had, we've done some past shows about rare and undiagnosed illnesses. And this show we're going to have some some mothers who have gone through the journey of searching for a diagnosis for their children and have been successful. I mean, it's, a, it's great stories because a lot of, as you know from my past shows, it isn't always the result that people get diagnoses. So today I have with me, um, and also I just want to tell everyone, we're doing this a live show. I'm, I'm here in Austin. Usually I'm based out of Boston, and here I am in Austin with two people sitting with me. Usually I'm all by myself in my studio, and here I am. So bear with us. If we have any technical problems, then uh, you're going to have to just bear with us. But so far, so good, and it's all very exciting. So today's guest, um, I have Vanessa Garcia with me, whose uh, son Braxton just recently received a diagnosis, and she'll be talking to us about her journey and Martha Lynn Kuhn, who actually we're waiting to have call in, and I'm hoping that she calls in soon because uh, she's on her way to, she's traveling somewhere. And also, again, I have with me Mary, Dr. Mary Elizabeth Parker, uh, who is uh, one of the co-founders of You Are Our Hope. She's been with us before. So I really think this is going to be a great show, and I'm really glad you're all listening in. And please feel free, once we get going here, to call in. The number is 805-830-8363, and we're really happy to be able to take your phone calls. So in light of that, uh, as we wait for uh, Martha Lynn to give us a holler, 
Uh, I'm going to introduce Vanessa. Hi, Vanessa. Thank you so much for taking the time. And, and actually, I have to say, she's also here with her daughter, Aileen, who's, who's hanging out with us, <laughs> who's uh, going to make sure we do it all right. So here's Vanessa. Uh, thank you, Vanessa, so much for coming on. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's great. Um, Vanessa, why don't you... What? Oh, oh, it looks like uh, Martha Lynn is here. So before we get into Vanessa, because once we get into Vanessa... <laughs> We're not going to want to stop. Okay, so let me go ahead and bring. Uh, I hope. I think this is Martha Lynn. Hello, Martha Lynn. Are you there? Hello. Hi. Are you there? Yeah. Are you there? Can you hear it? Can you yeah, hear me? I'm, I'm here. I can hear you. Okay. Yeah, good. 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 I, I've got. Some of your favorite people here, Vanessa and Mary Elizabeth and Aileen's here, too. So how are you doing? I know you're getting ready. I really appreciate you taking the time between flights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm happy. Thanks for asking me. Um, yeah, so you, you introduced Vanessa and her daughters with her, you said, as, as well, right? You what? Sorry, I didn't hear you. Say again. Um, just so I, so you said Vanessa's there and her daughter's with her. And yes, yes, yes. Sure. yes. Yeah, I yeah got we're, we're sitting here. This is a first for me with my first uh, group group speak, group <laughs> show. So why don't you, okay. I know your time's limited, so why don't you okay. give us, uh, let us, uh, tell us about your journey. Uh, it's your daughter, right, who you've been, um, who you went on this journey with. So why don't you give us tell us a little bit about her and 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 the journey. Yeah. Well, my daughter um is named Henrietta. We call her Henny. She uh is a three and almost three and a half years old and um she was born with what we now know was asymptomatic congenital CMV. Um she did not have symptoms present at birth that that we picked up on at least. Now looking back, of course, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Um, I, she was probably already presenting with some some neurological abnormality. She was born with a tremor in her leg. Her nervous system was a little bit off probably from birth on. But um, we didn't. And actually, in her you know um, charts, we can we can tell that the nurses wrote that they suspected an infection, but they, they tested for a white blood cell count, which was normal and then sort of dropped it. So even from the beginning of her life, we were kind of in this process of getting oh, diagnostic leads that would have been really helpful, but then having to learn in our own time what it meant to sort of pursue them and chase them down. Um, and so about six, about six months of age, it became really clear to us that she wasn't developing like other infants. And uh -huh. But um, she looks physically robust. She has high tone and... Um, and uh, again, like you know, she's got global developmental delays. But because I think physically there weren't other major symptoms present at birth and in her early months, it was it was um, about six months of age when we realized something was up. But we were still trying to get kind of feedback from doctors, like, well, we have these concerns. She was she was having eye problems. Um, she had shrivelled mucus in both eyes and. And some early markers. So about ten months of age, we finally had an ophthalmologist look at her and, and really express some concern about what might be happening neurologi neurologically. And we got an MRI, which was clean. But again, you know, we kept having this sense that something just wasn't right. And so by about 
like 12 months of age, we just decided, okay, we don't have any leads, but we're going to do a full court press. And at that point, our pediatrician was behind us. And so we started visiting specialists. Um, you know, we saw a genetic you, you, you're, you're here in Austin, right? So did you visit specialists in Austin, or were you going all over the place? We did. We started in Austin um, because that was, you know, where our immediate referrals were. Um, and uh-huh. in a way, um, yeah, I mean, I, we are also, there are so many wonderful medical centers in the U.S. And, um, and you know, Austin is, is, the medical community here is growing, but um, we eventually ended up in Houston. It was a, um, it was a process, and essentially, because we were hitting so many dead, dead ends, and at this point, too, by seven months of age, my daughter started having seizures, but she had a really rare kind of epilepsy called myoclonic epilepsy, and just the epilepsy alone, it took us about six months to get it diagnosed, um, actually, probably more to like eight months in Austin. I mean, that was after repeated visits to a neurologist. It just, so it just was, was not, it was flying under their radar somehow, so... So by the time you know we started treating her epilepsy, we we were kind of realizing that we were we had met the end of our resource capacity here in Austin, and we just weren't making headway. So um, with the help of UR Hope, um, which is a, a, an organization run by Mary Elizabeth Parker, who I know you know, and is maybe even here right now. I don't know. <laughs> um, no, she is. She, uh, yep, she's here. Okay. Yep. Yeah, excellent. So she referred us to a mitochondrial doctor in Houston, and I also, on my own, kind of sought out an epileptologist there. And um, between the two of them and some some more extensive testing, they were able to pick up the, th- the, the thread of congenital CMB, which had actually come up as a possibility when he was about 14 months old, but it took an entire another year of kind of like us exhausting our resources in Austin and then getting to Houston and having more extensive testing done to really be able to identify that as a possibility, primarily because my daughter doesn't present really like, you know, it, it, the congenital CMB can be a, a spectrum, like it can create a spectrum, you know, of, of different symptoms, and she's not on the severe side. I mean, my daughter is now three. She, she's finally mobile, and she's still globally delayed. Um, she's, she's saying some words, but... But um, she didn't have, like, the perfect sort of checkbox of symptom sets for congenital CMV. And so I think uh, after a few initial tests, the, the doctor sort of ruled it out, um, which, so, again, so I mean, it took, it, yeah. Excuse me, yeah. but it took, like, um, it sounds to me like it, it, it was, even though they put it on the differential, they weren't yeah. re- willing to say that was what it was. Is that, is that kind yeah. of what happened? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, think, I think it was like you know they, they, how how hard they were willing to pursue the differential diagnosis and how much they were willing to invest in just the research on congenital CMB. It's um, you know it's, it's a relatively rare thing to happen, and it's especially rare in the way that it's presented in my daughter. And so I feel like at the time it was presented, the first time I read, of course, when it came it came on the table, I read just like mounds of information on it. And I, I realized that I thought it could be a good fit, but then it, because, you know, they kind of, you know, they were only willing to put so much effort in the differential diagnosis, and, and they just kind of, you know, at that point were like, well, it doesn't fit A, B, and C. It might fit C in part of E, but it doesn't fit A, B, C, so we'll continue looking or we'll just wait till a really severe symptom presents itself, <laughs> which was obviously as a mother, 
extremely frustrating, you know, like... Um, like every symptom is severe, right? I mean, every symptom is severe, and they want... What did they want? Like, her to... I mean, severe yeah, symptoms, like, having seizures. I mean, it's like, what, what, what else did they want to happen? I really think they were waiting for either her to regress, honestly, or, like, or to have, like, a major, another kind of, like, type of seizure. I don't know. I don't really know what they were waiting for, but it was certainly... Very frustrating. I mean, um, yeah, you throw a lot as a person wanting to advocate for your child in a system like the one we have currently. But um, yeah, so it was. So uh, finally, who who finally said pulled the plug and said this is what it is? I mean, did you go out? Well, yeah, the mitochondrial doctor in, in He's, I mean, the epileptologist and the mitochondrial doctor, and he's been, um, both work with the UT uh, Medical Center there, and they were actually willing to collaborate, too, which is a big thing, I think, oh, in, yeah, in helping yeah. families reach a diagnosis. Like, they were willing to talk to each other and say, well, I think it's this, well, I think it's that. And so, I mean, they may have had different opinions, but between the two of them, they were looking at a spectrum of things and from a lot of different angles, whereas I felt like our medical team here, I wasn't, like, I couldn't get them to communicate. And, and, I mean, I was, you know, happy to be the go-between only to a certain point because that, we were employing them for their medical expertise. And so um, so I think that was a helpful thing in Houston was the collaboration. And, and so finally, like, through, you know, all these batteries of tests, the mitochondrial doctor was, was willing to stand up and say, you know, I mean, we've ruled everything else out. Yes, she may be like atypical in her presentation, but this is really what I think it is, and so I'm going to send you to um, a, a doctor, Dr. Gail Dimler, in Houston, who's an excellent doctor and a CMD specialist, and we want her to look at your daughter. We think this is what it is, and so sure enough, we were referred there and seen relatively quickly, and um, because because Penny, we, we didn't find out about the CMD until the first test that she had was 14 months of age. It's probably, I mean, it's unlikely that we'll ever be 100% sure, but we're sure enough that she's been now enrolled in, like, a longitudinal study of of um, kids with congenital CMV, and, and Dr. Dimler is, is, you know, moving forward as if that is, is what it doesn't mean, you know, it changes at any point, but I, I, feel, I feel pretty sure. But we have the type of diagnosis, you know, maybe unlike, Braxton, like Vanessa's journey with Braxton, we're, we're, we're never going to be 100% sure. And she may not be 100% sure. I'll be looking forward to hear what she has to say. But um, we're not, you know, we didn't have a, a genetic match or a mutation, but but we're we're sure as we can be. <laughs> you know, so you're, you're moving forward. You're, so when when did you get the diagnosis? Uh, or when did they finally decide this is what, what, what we're going to call it and, and this is what it means? That was in March of um, 2012, so that was about 15 months ago, um, and that was when we had, you know, been sort of on that journey for, you know, it took us about a 14 to 16 months um, to get there, and uh, I mean, I will say that that's after we started, you know, after hitting first year of life, and we became sure we there was information about her that we didn't know and we, we needed to know, and so... Um, yeah, so it took about 14 or 16 months to figure out, and then it's been about 14 months since that time. So what's it been like? I mean, you get the diagnosis. They say, okay, they call you in. You go in, and they say, you know, 
okay, sit down, we know what it is, or we're, we agree huh. this is a diagnosis. And and then, you know, what what next? What or what was that uh, what was that part like? I mean it's yeah it's uh, it's profound. It's a profound moment. Yeah. Well Mary Elizabeth thank God in heaven was there actually with me. My husband couldn't sit down because of a work related thing. We you know, we'd been to so many of these appointments where we didn't get any information. The fact that we actually were now I mean we we had no idea where we'd be going to one where we would <laughs> but Luckily, Mary Elizabeth was with me because it was a very, obviously, an emotional uh, time and, and a very, like, a roller coaster because I think, actually, my first, my first my emotion was relief. I mean, there was a real pure sense of relief, A, because we had an answer, and B, because some of the things we had been looking at were, you know, I think would have been more difficult for me to grapple with, and um, there, you know, there would have been more, more certainty in terms of, like, Penny's prognosis, maybe. I mean, if you ever, if there's ever certainty, but, but um, you know, I knew that. I, I think I kind of felt like it was congenital PMD, and then when they would, you know, describe other things, you know, that that could have changed her lifespan or been neurodegenerative, it was obviously hard. You know, it's just hard to plan where we were and what we were looking at, and so there was a sense of relief. I think that was really the first thing I felt. But then, quickly, there was a deep sense of grief, and and. And obviously, I mean, congenital CMD is something that, that she contracted in utero. And so as a mother and the person who gestated her, I had a lot of feelings of, you know, um, guilt, you know, and, and uh, along with the grief. Like, was this my fault? Could I have done anything differently? And um, you Well, know, they don't I mean, test that routinely in prenatal. Are they, they weren't at the time or... I mean, I'm not I'm sorry. You know, I I really feel for you. You know, I mean, yeah, I'm trying. Yeah. To, I, I hope you got over that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and and and, and that's I think part of it. It's our. I mean, and, and that's the whole thing with being a mom or being a human. We wish we had control. Sometimes we think we do. <laughs> and I know in the end, I didn't have control over this. And luckily, in a weird way, my husband's actually a cancer survivor, and we were together when he was in chemo. And so I developed like really good hygiene habits, obviously, because when you're in chemotherapy, you're so immunosuppressed. And so, um, like, during our pregnancy, I felt really confident about, you know, like, how I was treating my body and washing my hands and trying to be mindful of germs. But, you know, in the end, I just happened to be one of a very small percent of women who did not have antibodies to DMD already at this point in my life. And, you know, I was around a friend's toddler sometime. Who knows? Who knows how it happened? But, um, right, right. But, no, you know, that's it. You know, so... So you went through that, and I, I yeah. guess you, Mary, Mary Elizabeth wanted to say something, and she was hanging over, she's hanging over this phone. Right now, so I'm going to let her talk. Hi, <laughs> um, Yeah, Hi. And, I, and I think that, I mean, I remember you and I having some discussions about this, but they also put out on the table that it was possible she could have picked it up very early, whether yeah, it's right. be at the right. hospital or been exposed to someone else who was actively. So, you know, I, yeah. I think... And I've worked with a lot of parents, and I think the first thing is, you know, what did I do? I think that, and I think right. that's probably, again, not as a parent, but a very a process you need to go through. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I'm, 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 you know, I don't think we'll ever know, you yeah. know how it came. Yeah. And I think, it, I mean, it's yeah. really yeah. great. I'm really grateful that you bring that up because the for people who are listening mm-hmm. or might listen after, you know. Mm-hmm. They they might be thinking that, and by saying that out loud, I mean I really appreciate. It, it takes courage, and 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 uh, that's what I love about having you and Vanessa on is the courage that you t- do every day, and this is one of the moments. So, um, so so I so thank you for sharing that. That's so profound. 
Um, so okay, so here we are. You're, you're, yep. you're, you've got your release. You're feeling mm-hmm. good, and all of a sudden it hits you right in the face. Is this my fault? <laughs> you know. Yeah, and right, so, right. So, so yeah. now, so what, what? What was the next step? Yeah, what, well, what, I mean, you know, you did go through. It allowed me to go through more concretely um, some of the probably really practical stages of grief. That when you're trying to figure out what is exactly is happening medically with your child, you're sort of stunted in a way because you don't you don't know. I mean, you know they're different. And, and you know, there's some grief involved in that, but like, what what this all even means? And and um, so I felt like I I did go through a good like six to twelve weeks of just feeling you know kind of foggy and then angry, you know, because I I finally had something to like um, to sort of rage against in a way, you know. Well, why did this you know happen? Or and then you know, and then also kind of dealing with the well. What if she loses her hearing, which is a possibility, or what if, the, you know, and kind of like, but then at least it was like I was worrying about something concretely, and I could like then wrap my head around it and say, you know, I'm not going to have any control over this, and these are the statistics, and like move on. Whereas before, you know, it was like this whole ocean of possibilities, and I was just, you know, I, I was almost, you know, there were times where I was just, I was making myself almost sick with worry, you know, because it, it was, yeah. it was so. Brawl. Yeah. Whereas, like now, I can actually kind of deal with concrete possibilities, and then you know, get my get my head on straight and like keep moving forward. And I mean, just just in terms of like interacting with other people, certainly interacting with the medical community, like feeling like I had a, a way to to understand Henny and kind of like um, explain her situation to other people was really helpful. You know, I I think it was it was tremendously helpful. Or her teachers, you know, and, and I think then too there's so so soon you find yourself also in like kind of an educator advocate advocate role, which also felt good because I, I feel like this is something so many people don't know about. I mean, there's there and um and you know like kind of like helping to understand through my experience understanding my my own daughter. It's been really interesting, you know, talking with teachers and, and preschool teachers and and medical the medical community a lot of people actually in the medical community don't know a lot about things that are the same teacher, which was probably why it was so hard to diagnose but um that's the next is journey is, um, yeah. is, i mean part of, part of your part of the journey is now you know you're 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 able to tell people this is what my daughter has and then getting the services i mean talking to the yes. school that you know yes. uh yes. Yeah, yeah, that's even, a, yeah, for our insurance, establishing that it was a congenital issue, like that, you know, that can, for, for some, the way some insurance works, like determining when something occurs, like they treat congenital issues different than maybe an injury sustained at a different point in life. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of really practical things that is, I mean, not only emotionally was helpful, but, but, but practically. And also, too, you know, I can feel like, should I be, you know, certain, you know, Genetic conditions have a metabolic component where, I, you know, we would need to be feeding her differently or, you know, like um, being aware of of other secondary things that we should be on the lookout for and, like, just kind of feeling like I could lay those fears to rest too practically, you know, so that I didn't feel like I was constantly missing something or missing an opportunity to help her. Um, right, 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 right. So now you have a direction. Yeah. I mean, it seems like yeah. this has given you a direction to move in, and you're not like just flailing around trying to help your yeah. daughter. 
and yet, you know, not knowing really what, how to help her. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, have you found good specialists that help your daughter now? That with the, you know, I mean, yeah. that is so. Yeah, yeah, we still go see Dr. Demler, um, you know, once a year, and I mean, we can go more often if we have have any. But she's in a really good, stable place right now. Um, we obviously still have a neurologist. Um, and we have a developmental pediatrician, but but we do have that one doctor who's who's just really well networked with with resources and also the congenital CMB community. And um, you know, I'm actually expecting a second child now. I'll, I'll have a son in September, and um, you know, like in the process of determining how and if we were going to proceed in that direction, she was a really incredibly just an invaluable resource in terms of. You know, talking about what what I needed to do to get ready for that, and you know, any extra precautions I needed to take, um, and, and kind of being able to like help us as we, you know, <laughs> through well, that decision. Congratulations! Yeah. That's fantastic. You. you must be so excited. Thank you. Yeah, wow. we're excited too. We're excited too. And um, right. so, yeah, so that, it mean, was. That's, it, that's so yeah. amazing. I mean, congratulations because you picked up. You know, you, you you kept moving, yeah. and and again, yeah. courage. That's what I yeah. see here. A lot, of, a lot of courage. A lot of courage. Yeah. yeah, I learn a lot from the moms in our group for sure, and I'm I'm inspired by them every day. I, I mean, it's definitely um, it's just amazing. I mean, the power of parents, and I certainly feel a strong connection to mothers in particular. But um, yeah, it, and to have such incredibly special kids is it's such a challenge, but such a gift too. I mean, I definitely have learned more from Henny than than so I've been sure learn from me. Um, Vanessa here is part of your group, right? Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. So Vanessa, so so tell us about the group because that seems to be a very is that that tell the that seems very instrumental as a support as well as. Um, yeah, it was just as a support. So, Vanessa, you uh, so tell us about that. Yeah. Um, I, th- I mean, having the a support group to reach out to has been really important. I think that that you know, Martha Lynn talked about kind of the stages of grief and being able to have a support group of of people who've also been through the same things and getting to talk to them about how you know how they dealt with it and you know being able to voice your frustrations and and get it out instead of bottling everything up really it really makes a difference and. And and for me, it was really instrumental in in helping me come to a place of acceptance uh, with our diagnosis and with our journey and understanding what was going on. Mm -hmm. And so, Martha Lynn, is that that your experience, too? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, it's certainly a place where, where we feel, I mean, not only supported, but also encouraged because... Because there are other women like Vanessa and and you know and other parents who you know are also at times facing a lot of unknowns. You know, like I think that's the cool thing is like is, I mean not only other families who sort of know what's going on and, and are just dealing with the practical needs of having a special needs child, but also those families who are on that who are still on that journey and have been for some of them a very long time. And just the encouragement, you know, seeing other people after years get a diagnosis and, and feeling like, you know, I always feel encouraged when I know because I see everybody else doing their thing and working hard and thriving, you know, <laughs> loving their uh-huh. lives. And um, and so I just feel like I think that I know it's been encouragement to me and I hope, 
you know, by continuing to participate and just be part of that community that we can encourage other families out there as well. Because it's been a very unusual thing. I mean, it's been, and we're part of a, a very particular community because of the sort of the the process we've gone through and that diagnostic journey. Um, it, it is unique in a lot of ways. Right, and I think it's a it, good comment on this that it's, you know, when you first open, you, when you first, it, when it first hits you in the face that you've got, you know, you've got a, you've got something that's not working right. Your, your child mm-hmm. is ill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where do you turn? And, and with a group like yours, you know, I, I imagine the support that you can give to people who are just starting this journey. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's the amazing thing that the two of you have had. You know, you have a diagnosis. So mm-hmm. you can look back and look at that in a frame, you know, way that this is how I felt from the beginning, and then a diagnosis, and it must be so helpful. Yeah, it really yeah. Was, uh, at the beginning, when I first started with you are hope, I was still kind of in a in a place where I wasn't sure if I really wanted to to really push forward and start pushing the doctors for a diagnosis. And when we first went and talked to some of the other parents and you know, getting their perspective on how things were with their kids and um, the the things that they had done to to kind of not not necessarily force, but to really encourage the doctor to you know what if this is what you think it is, why don't we test for it? And understanding that as a parent, you have that voice to talk to doctors and you can tell them, you know what, I really feel like we need to get this done. And um, it, just talking to the other moms when I even at just at that first meeting. I think I went home that night and I was like, you know, this is something that I owe myself and I owe my kid. Like, I really need to to start, you know, to kind of more fervently try to get a diagnosis for him and, and to, so that I can understand what's really going on. And I just, I, I guess I kind of left that meeting feeling empowered by some of the other parents and their stories and how they came to have a diagnosis because they, you know, the voice of their child, you have to be an advocate for your own child. And I think it was difficult to understand that without going to the meeting. So that must be some powerful meaning having us sitting around in a room with advocates. Ooh, it gives me the shivers. <laughs> I mean, the, the advice you must give each other must be pretty interesting. <laughs> We've all kind of, you know, been been through it, and a lot of the other moms have been through it much longer, so they know. And, you know, just that bouncing off ideas and things that you never would have been able to do before. Like, I'm like, well, how, who told you about all of these resources, and how do you know about all this stuff? And you know, they're out there researching it, too, and being able to pass the information amongst ourselves is been, it's amazing. Definitely, definitely. I agree. I think the resource sharing is a huge part of it, too, because, you know, a lot of us are working moms as well, and, I mean, you know, we have, we, we dedicate all of our tools, especially when we're on, on that diagnostic journey, and so I think, like, being able to talk to other, other parents about, you know, experiences they've had with particular physicians or, you know, a particular issue is really helpful. And, and it practically is time-saving because, like, we can share that information together, um, you know, in a group and, and, and help each other from our own experiences. So, Well, that was really, you said, you said something really interesting, and both of you can speak to this, and Mary Elizabeth, you can too, of streamlining. I mean, because when when you're all by yourself, you're just going through everything. You're trying everything, and when you're with people who have been through it, they can really help you not have to do that. So, I mean, is that that that's that's powerful? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, just having somebody else that's done the research for you to help. I mean, you know, what is it? You, know, you can't reinvent the wheel. You know, somebody else has done it. They've know they have got the resources available, and and they can pass that information on to you, and you can build on that, or at least it gives you a starting point instead of just shooting in the dark. Right, right. And Mary Elizabeth, yeah, I mean, I think it's the power of parents, and you know, our group would be nothing. You know, we have some medical professionals who are part of the group. And we can guide, and you know, we, we certainly provide some information. But it's really, when you're at the meetings, what's the best thing that I see in this is that when a parent has a problem with their child, and it's significant, we're not talking about, you know, they're waking up at 2 a.m., we're talking about, no. you know, significant, you know, uh, vomiting issues, or yeah, it could be a variety of things. Or seizures. 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 It could be anything. And when that fam another family says, hey, we went through this, and we tried this, and we were successful, and then that just gives hope to the other family, like, oh, you've been where I am, and you've been through the stuff that we've been doing that's not working. Okay, I'll try what you're doing because I have nothing else to lose. Right, right, right. So do you need do you need to go board? Yeah, I do, actually. I'm sorry I have to get off the phone because I love this conversation, and this is so true. Okay, but, um, I'm, I'm grateful that you took the time. And, thank you, Martha Lynn. And it was yeah. uh, very Formative. We have Vanessa here and Mary Elizabeth. We'll we'll chat some more. So um, have a great time wherever yeah. you're going. Be safe. Yeah. And I can hear the rest of it online sometimes. Is that right? Absolutely. We'll yeah. post it for you. Right. No problem. Okay. Yeah. Because I look forward to hearing what Vanessa has to say too. Um, okay. okay. You guys have a great have a great time together. And thanks again for including me. Okay. okay. Sure. Certainly. So. Bye bye. So thank you, uh, Martha Lynn Kuhn, for taking the time. Uh, hold on here, I'm just doing my thing. And um, so we still have Vanessa here, Vanessa Garcia. And why, Vanessa, why don't you? I mean, we've been talking about this group, but we'll get back to that because now I want you to talk about your son Braxton and your journey because I think that it it it'll tell another story of what you went through and the result different from what, you know, from, from what uh, Martha Lynn went through. Well, you know, Braxton, we had kind of an uneventful pregnancy. I mean, I took really good care of myself, I, even better than I did with my first daughter. So, like, we had absolutely no idea that there was anything that was any any kind of indication that anything would be a problem when he was born. Um, and he when he was born... The initial, the first thing was that he had a hard time breastfeeding. Like he didn't want to feed. Um, we couldn't get him to to swallow anything. He was just kind of choking and, and gagging on everything. So I was kind of concerned. The nurse rushed him away, and they tried to bottle feed him, and they were unsuccessful as well. And naturally, that kind of caused his sugars to drop pretty low. So they kind of kept him in the nursery a lot. They didn't really bring him out to me. And when they finally did, they said, you know, well. We have to take him back. We're going to try to feed him again, and, and the neonatologist is going to come in and take a look at him. And you know, I'm just still in the new mom bliss. I've got a new kid. I'm right, right, taking right, pictures right. of him. I didn't. I mean, it's just this is my son. I, you know, I had nothing at all. And you know, they rushed him off. And when they came back, you know, they said, "Well, we'll bring him back to you in an hour. We're going to try to feed him." Well, an hour passes, and my son's not back. A couple, you know, another hour or so. We've got family waiting to meet him, and nobody, like, I'm like, I don't know, guys. He's he's in the nursery. I they they won't tell me anything. So we eventually kind of sent everybody home, and the neonatologist finally came in and sat down and was like, look, um, 
we've kind of noticed some features with your son, some things that aren't, uh, I guess, typical for for your for a child. And initially it was, you know, some of the facial features. Um, and then they told us, you know, well, he also has syndactyly where his fingers were fused together. It was just the ring and the pinky finger and a little bit on the on the second and third toe as well. So the, my first thought was like, oh, my God, I didn't even check to see if he had, five, you know, ten fingers and toes. I sh- why didn't I notice that his fingers were fused together? I mean, they bring him out swaddled, so I was just, you know, right, loving right. on him. Um and, and, you know, the, some of the facial features, and they, the neonatologist said that, you know, with the characteristics that he ha- had presented, individually it wouldn't have been a big deal, but because they all showed up together, it pointed to some kind of syndrome. Um, she couldn't really tell me exactly what it was, but they they knew that he needed to go on for further testing. And she kind of told us, well, we're going to have to transfer your son to uh, the neonatal intensive care unit at another hospital. Oh, great. So and not great. only is your child going to NICU, but you're now going to be separated from your child, and you can't come with him. You know, they can transfer me with him. So, I mean, it was just shock, really, and Dad followed the ambulance to the other hospital and got him settled in and talked to the, you know, the admitting doctor there. Um, that that first, I didn't find out till later that that first doctor that saw him uh, didn't give him more than two weeks to live. Wow! And wow. she told that to our cool. fa- she told it to our family and not to us. So I mean, that's just that's not wrong in and in itself. Um, unethical. Yeah, and so. But what? But when my? Uh, but when Joseph came back, that's Braxton's dad, uh, from the hospital. He said that the other doctor sounded a little bit more hopeful. That when they got there, they had made it sound like Braxton was kind of like definitely not going to make it through the night. They had reported that he had a really large heart murmur, that he had had a seizure during transport, and you know, upon exam when they arrived, it didn't, it wasn't that dire, I guess. So that kind of, you know, calmed us down. That got me through the night. But and you were still at the other hospital. Yeah, I, and you know, and I'm post C-section, and oh. I was like, no, I'm going home tonight. <laughs> you know, I, 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 my niece went through a similar thing where they transferred her from one county in New York to from. Brooklyn to Manhattan for to a mm-hmm. to a uh, neonatal and neonatal intensive care, and I'll, I'll never forget what we as a family went through. I mean, it was you know I and so I I'm sitting here thinking, wow, I, I you're bringing back those memories yeah. of you know my my nephew running over trying to follow the ambulance and trying to uh, get some information. You know, it's yeah. it's it's tough. You know, people imagine that. I just imagine if you're listening, having someone say, "Well, you just had a baby. We think there's something wrong, and we're taking them somewhere else, and you're not to be there." I mean, as a mother, you you are you thought, "Oh my God." Well, yeah, and then those couple hours that Dad was gone at the other hospital, I'm sitting here like nobody's called me, nobody's texting me, what right, is going right, on? Right, like right, I right, want right. to know what's going on with my kid. Right, right. And right. there was just, you know, that that was probably like the, the the longest, you know, 2 hours of my life for sure. It's just not just the not knowing. Wow. Yeah, no, it's scary, and yeah. I mean, I'm used to a range of emotions. Yeah, all like within just, I mean, I was like, we were happy, we were excited in the morning, then yeah. we were, okay, we're, we didn't see our son, we're kind of nervous, okay, now your child's going to be transferred, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm freaking out now, and then it's like, okay, now we're taking him away, and I was just, just overcome with, with grief, and it was just 
So from day one, the journey from day one. Day one. <laughs> so I mean, and in that respect, I, I, in hindsight, I'm thankful that they noticed right away that it's not something that we waited and didn't have a clue until later on, because right away we were hooked in exactly where we needed to be. So, well, that so that, yeah, in hindsight, that's definitely the silver lining in that initial situation. Um, I was released from the hospital the next day. You talk mm-hmm. about willpower. Willpower. I was walking around that night post-section and getting my things together, and you know, I was going to get out of the hospital and go see my kid. Um, Saturday night, we had him Friday. Saturday night, they released us. We went home, packed a bag, changed, and went straight up there to talk to him and talk to the the on-call doctor that night to get a little bit more information, and we knew that they had already done a head ultrasound. They did an EEG because they thought he had a seizure. They did a um, the EKG, an echocardiogram on his heart uh, to have that checked out, and then they were waiting on some genetic testing that they were going to go ahead and do the next day. Um, and in talking with them, they brought up trisomy 13, 18, and 21 as the three that they were kind of looking at and they were, of course, kind of reluctant to talk about, of course, trisomy 21 is Down syndrome. So that's something that I'm familiar with and right. could handle that. I'm like, okay, I can deal with that. So me being me, I go home that night, and I'm like, on Google, trisomy 13, trisomy 18, trisomy 21. And it is, it is bad news, I mean, just to, to do that to yourself. And I just sat there and, and cried just over and over reading through all the research because none of them, trisomy 13 and 18, they don't have a whole lot of research available, but everything that is available says the child won't make it to their first birthday. Right, right. So, and at this point, I still hadn't been told that they didn't give him two weeks. So I was just already in my mindset thinking, I'm going to have to prepare to lose my son. And I, how do you prepare for that? How do you no. deal with that? No. And, you know, just we went back, you know, every day to the hospital. And, you know, I've got my older daughter at home. And, you know, she's such a trooper through it all. Well, thankfully, we had help from family. My grandparents came down, my parents came down, and they took turns watching her while we went to the hospital to visit with Braxton and, and you know, just kind of taking shifts with everything. Um, and he spent three weeks in NICU. We came out with no no answers. They, um, he, he, de- he never, in the time that he was in NICU, wouldn't feed well. Mm-hmm. He couldn't swallow. He was aspirating um, wow. and swallowing fluid into his lungs. So they decided to, he needed a G-tube, and they put that in. He was two weeks old. Wow. So that, that was our first, you know, surgery decision, whether to go through with it or not. Wow. And I didn't want to come home with an NG tube because, you know, just having a I – just, I just couldn't put a tube, tube down my son's nose. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so, right. I mean, in, in talking to some of the doctors, we knew that that was the right choice. And um, they put the G-tube in him because everything else had stabilized. He was, you know, he was gaining weight. He was regulating his temperature on his own. His blood sugars had normalized. So that was the la- feeding was the last piece. So they sent us home with a G-tube. So he normalized because they had already put the G-tube? As as they- no, no, before the G-tube. So he had already started to kind of get better okay. um, and on his own. The, the, that part of it, of course, the, the abnormalities that he had, of course, didn't take care of themselves just yet. Um, we left with a G-tube, and I left with a packet of doctors. These, these are the doctors that you need to follow up with. Call and make these appointments. And I'm like, oh, yes. my God. Paul, I've got this new <laughs> child who has very sick, and now you want me to, Why don't you make those appointments? I'm sorry. That's my advocate coming out here, folks, because 
This is crazy. This I, you is know, crazy. No support. Just, <laughs> Hi, have a bye-bye. Have a good time. Well, we did leave with a couple. They're, you need to be here next week and okay. this day. Okay. But, okay. Then, all right, all right, but right. then it was like, <laughs> but... You need to call this office and, you know. But how many specialists did he have at that point? Yeah, there was, you know, coming out of NICU was, what, three or four? And um, now you're at? Now we're at 15 total, specialists and therapists. Yeah, we've we've seen pretty much everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, But the the one really fortunate thing was that they told us then and there, you know, we needed to get him hooked in with with physical therapy and speech therapy for feeding. Um, And... How, how fortunate I am that Dr. Parker was the first one to contact me, and you know we sat down, and she's the one that got us in touch. You know what? I'm going to get you in touch with my friend who's a speech therapist, and she's going to come and take on your child, and we're going to get you with one of our other therapists. That I think, as Braxton grows, he'll be able to you know match the personality, and since he's the, the physical therapist, the male, they will have that rough play and be able to wrestle with, with each other as he gets older. So. Um, just that, I mean, I I can't even tell you what it means that we had that available to us, that we, from the beginning, were hooked into everything and everybody that we needed. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you were lucky in that way. You didn't yeah. have to search as much for it because a lot of people do. And they're thrown out of the hospital with, uh, uh, and you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah, and, and for as dire as Braxton's situation seemed early on, we we have families who are discharged and they say, okay, they're feeding poorly or they have low tone, just go out and check them out. And we're the, as a therapist, we're the ones who get out there and go, oh, no, this is much larger picture. I remember one baby in particular, and I get there, and the baby has dysmorphic features, and they're not feeding well, and they were discharged one day after delivery with no follow-up. And it was hard, again, as a therapist, I have to be careful what I say, but to look at this father and say, we've we got to go get some help. We, right. And we're, we're behind the eight ball at this point because they thought everything was, well, they knew parents' gut, they knew something was wrong, but they weren't told that in the hospital. Right. And so I would not wish Vanessa's story on anybody, but there are worse situations where they say, here's your baby, bye. And you go home and have to fight the good fight. And again, that family was lucky that they were, you know, they were said, you know, call this number and get some therapy. Right, right. You know, and I'm, you know, just fortunate I got out there, and because this is kind of my love, going, hmm, this is, this is not right. Right, right, right. So, so, and you at that time when you met, you had already started UR Hope. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did you have that conversation almost immediately? Not, or not initially. Mary, yeah. I think she, her, she, her being the professional that she is knew that it maybe wasn't the right time. Uh-huh. Um, and it wasn't actually for some time that she even mentioned anything to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our, our first meeting, you know, it was kind of the frustration that, hey, he had this genetic testing done in the hospital. They did a test for 13, 18, and 21, and it came back normal. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, right, we're in the clear. And they're like, no, there's still something wrong. Get, just get that through your head that there's still something that we need the to continue. The doctors are saying that. Yeah, that you need yeah. to continue the search. Um, and the geneticist was supposed to come see him in NICU, but I think that at that time she had some issues, and she never did. So, they, you know, that was one of the appointments I was supposed to call to make. So he was released on July 17th, and I called to get an appointment, and they told us, oh, well, our first available is in November. 
Yeah. So here I am, mm-hmm. you know, you need to see the doctor right away. And I call, and I'm like, what do you mean? I can't, the, no, I need to see her tomorrow. I need to see her yesterday. <laughs> um, and when we first met with Mary Elizabeth, and I told her, well, this is what they said, and, you know, I, I made the appointment, I'm on the waiting list. No, that's just not going to do. And she, you know, was our advocate at that point, and she called over there and spoke with them or emailed them and said, you need, this is a situation, this child needs to get seen immediately. Um, I think within a week of her emailing, I had, like, four phone calls. <laughs> that oh, We've got your child on the waiting list. If something comes open, we're going to get him in. And then it was, here's this appointment, and we, we got in in August. Okay, so everybody who's listening, I want You need a Mary Elizabeth. (laughs) Yes. But that's what advocates do. You know, that's why we have, and that's why uh, organizations like Your Hope um, exist, and that's why businesses like Healthcare Whisperer exist, because um, this couldn't wait. And you might have said, oh, okay, I mean, I have... Clients yeah. will say that, and I go, no, no, no. Well, you're the doctor. What am I? Who am I to tell you? No, yeah. you need to see my kid. Right, right, um, right. And I think that was the first sign of uh, of knowing that you know what, if you do push a little bit, you can get what you want. Right. If, if yeah. I had been a little bit more forceful, I um, I could have gotten that appointment moved up. But with her help, we did. And you know, we started out. We saw doctor, uh, the geneticist, and we did a microarray. Four months later, we go back for results. Well, that test was normal. Court. So, you know, then it, then it was the waiting game. Oh, well, let's just wait and see what he grows into. And we go back and, you know, we're, we're, she's, you know, looking at the differential, differential diagnosis and we'll, we'll test for, you know, these two syndromes and, and see what, this is what I think it is. Well, then it comes back and, well, that's normal. So, I mean, it was just, you know, test after test just came back normal and we had no answers. Um, and, and, you know, at the very first meeting, the geneticist mentioned Cornelia DeLong syndrome, and she said, well, at first look, this is kind of what I think, but he's not hairy enough. He doesn't present the way that most of those kids do. So she, you know, pushed it to the back burner. Um, And then I I was at, uh, later that year, I actually started blogging, so I started writing about my story. Right, and what's their blog address? Because it is a great blog. I was I've been um, looking at it. Um, it's braxtonjoseph.com. So that's B R A X T O N Joseph J O S E P H dot com. I really in, encourage everyone <laughs> to, to read it. It's great. It's well written and, and well, informative. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean that's that's about that time I finally decided. You know what? I I I want to write, and it was just more of a catharsis at first, just therapeutical, just getting all of my feelings out there. And I expected, you know, my family to read it, and that's pretty much about it. It, it was, at that point, the easiest way for me to update everybody without having to make the heartbreaking phone calls, you know, well, we still don't know, and getting all of the questions. It was, you know what, here's what they told us, here's how I feel, you do with it as you wish. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it was at that point that uh, Mary Elizabeth finally um you know, said, you know what, why don't you come out to You Are a Hope? And, and when I got to that place of wanting to share my story, that's when she realized that You Are a Hope would benefit me, and that's, you know, it definitely did. We finally um, got through to, uh, you know, we got tired of all the tests coming back normal. We pushed our geneticists on it, and we went ahead with whole exome sequencing. That we had kind of talked about that with Mary Elizabeth, and that's where they look at each individual gene to see if there is any kind of variance. So the body has some 20,000 genes that 
do what they do. Mm-hmm. And currently, it was explained that we only know about what 5,000 of those genes do. Right, right, right. So, you know, whole exome sequencing was presented as an option, but we knew, well, there's only a 20% chance that you'll get a diagnosis. So here we are thinking, well, this is the test that we need, and we go in and find out, well, this still may not give you the answers that you right, want. Right, right, right. Um, we were fortunate that our doctor did go ahead and, and try to get the preauthorization. It was approved. Insurance covered it. We didn't have to pay out of pocket for it. We got in, and they did wow. the, blood, the blood draw. Um, that was in December of this past year, and just in April we finally got those results, and it came back that uh, it actually picked up Braxton's you know, syndrome. It was Rubenstein-Tabey syndrome which is something that somebody had mentioned to us. And we asked the, the, the geneticist, and she said, well, he doesn't present the way those kids normally do, so she kind of dismissed it. So in much the same way that Martha Lynn's story, that it, somebody told her about it, but the doctor said, well, you know, it, it, he doesn't fit in the box, so we're not sure that that's what it is. Right, um, and just real quick, I mean, I, I think that's something that that's so interesting is that if you don't, hit all the symptoms that they think should be hit, then they eliminate it. Right. And and that's, I don't know if it's a time thing with doctors sometimes or... Well, it, it, it was interesting, and, I, and I'm sorry that Martha Lynn didn't have time to mention this. I, I loved her explanation. She goes, we, we practice, you know, out of textbooks and, you know, literature, but we've forgotten about the art of medicine. And it, right, it was right. a very eloquent That's statement right. she made to me at one point. She goes, because for these syndromes, and as we're trained, syndromes, you don't have to hit everyone. You don't have to tick ten, right. all ten off the list. You might tick four out of five or six out of 11, but that's why it's a syndrome. Yes. And so I, I think, and I don't know if it's a, if it's a pushback for insurance, but I can say I've, I've treated children with Cornelia DeLange, and I've treated children with, uh, you know, a variety of, mm-hmm. Uh, syndromes, but they don't have every part of it. I mean, look at Down syndrome, for example. You might have somebody who, uh, you know, they, they will have a characteristic facial feature. Some will hold down a full 40-hour-a-week job, and some need to live in a facility with guided learning. You know, so there's a whole spectrum. Right. So to say that, you know, you got to take off all of them to test, that, to me, doesn't make any sense. No, no, and and meanwhile, people suffer because of that. Mm-hmm. So I mean, and that is the frustration. And and I've talked to some other parents that that get the diagnosis after and say, you know what, we missed out on six months of therapy or six weeks. Right. We could have gotten in with this doctor six months ago, but because they didn't want, they didn't think that this is what it was. They didn't treat it like that. And so I mean, that that is a you know, kind of a frustration with a lot of parents, and and that's where you know the parents and advocates come in and, you know, you have to tell the professional, you, you have that voice, you have that power to say, no, we need to do something more. Um, and fortunately for us, once we got the diagnosis, we were already monitoring all of the issues that he could have. You know, we already had the neurologist on board. We had the cardiologist on board. You know, we didn't have to add anything. We actually lost the doctor. You know what, you don't need to see that doctor. So great. That's <laughs> the one off the list. Um, so one thing today, um, we were on a, a taping for TV. I was with Vanessa and Mary Elizabeth, and you talked about the possibilities of the future. And mm-hmm. I thought that was really great. You mentioned that there's a, a gold. Uh, yeah, there's special. a special Olympic gold medalist that has Rubenstein-Tabey syndrome, which is what Braxton has. Um, you know, all of the research kind of makes it seem like these kids, some of these kids, you know, can't live out of the home, or you know, they'll never talk. They'll be very behind. They'll have low IQs. 
But in talking with some of the other parents that I have reached out to, their their children are doing great. They're in school. They're playing sports. You know, you've got a medalist that's, um, you know, with Special Olympics. There's some kids that will talk like crazy. Uh, and there's some kids that are excellent at signing. And... Um, or they use a communication device. And, you know, so initially we thought, well, Braxton might be nonverbal, but you spend an afternoon with him, and that kid is trying to talk like crazy. Right, so, right, yeah, right, he, right. He, he's making some significant strides. Um, we know now that he'll be able to, to walk. He may, he may not speak, you know, thousands of sentences, but he, he'll, he'll have a few words. And just that hope in talking to other parents and understanding um, – that just because the, the, this research is out there, every child is unique. Every child is different. They have their own story, and they're you know right, right, it, right. it's a different it's a different experience for everybody, even within the same box. Just like Mary Alyssa said with Down syndrome, all of those kids have a totally different story, um, and it's just you know amazing to get to see you know all the hope that you can get out of out of things like that. Right. So. I mean that's that's fantastic because uh again courage courage I hear so much courage it took courage to just it to move forward I mean people who are in this situation are are every day having to get up in the morning say okay I can do this today yeah. <laughs> I can do it I can I can move forward and I'm going to call that doctor even though I'm so tired of talking to that front <laughs> office but you're going to do it, and you know it takes courage. It takes dedication, commitment, love, courage, and and I, you know, I I always think, could I do it? Could I have done it? I, I can only hope that I have somewhere that courage. Yeah, well, but, that's know. something that's brought up a lot to. I mean, not just me, but other parents. Well, I don't know how you do it. Well, when you're a parent and it gets thrust upon you, you rise to the occasion. This is if this is your child. You do what you have to do. So it's it's in us, it's in everybody to do it. You can do it. Um, it's just, you know, it, it's kind of one thing that I, I remember writing. It's kind of a paradox that I love the life I live, but I wouldn't wish it on anybody. It, uh, it's hard. Right, right, you know, right, it, right. It is hard to have a special needs child, but the rewards are so beneficial. You know, Braxton, you know, when he looks at me and he smiles or he'll, he'll reach up and he grabs your face, he can't say it, but when he reaches up and grabs my face, and you know, puts his little lips against my cheek. Oh. You know, that's like that's that's the best. I love you. Oh. I can ever hear, you know, I hope so. my friend Marianne's <laughs> listening because every time she hears these stories <laughs> with a special needs kid, I mean, and so it's just it, it's 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 great. You learn to appreciate the little things, all of the things that we take for granted. Um, but it, it's you know, it's it's something that anybody can do. We're not special people because we we do it. We you know do what you have to do. For your child, yes, and that's again courage, love. <laughs> they all go together. So we're—I can't believe this. This is an amazing show. I, I'm so <laughs> grateful that everyone's been on. We've got about a little about, <laughs> and um, so I want to thank you both. I want to remind everyone to go to uh, BraxtonJoseph.com and read Vanessa's uh, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Uh, blog, and maybe you'll get some information and help. And I also want to remind people to call their legislator about the Cal uh, law. You can find out about more about that from uh, URR Hope. Go to org, and it's very you know go there. Uh, 
all the numbers if you're sitting out there thinking, oh, I need to talk to somebody. You know, you can call uh, Mary Elizabeth Parker or the, you have a number listed there. Yes. Yes, and a contact form. You can email directly. Contact form. Someone will get back to you right away. Um, don't hesitate because the compassion is 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 beyond anything you've experienced before. There's, I mean, I keep meeting people. Mary Elizabeth says, "Oh, you know, this person, that person." I'm like, "Wow, <laughs> okay." I, I mean, I can't have it enough. So I just want to thank everybody again for listening and and putting up with a, you know, my first live show in Austin, Texas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all did good. What's next? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. How about Maui? Yeah. Okay, everybody. Everybody, thank you very much, and God bless everyone, and uh, thank you, Vanessa, so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having, you for having us. Okay. Thank you. All right, here we go. We're off. We can hang on.